HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Shirk, and I hope you guys are having a great season so far. We are into the heat of things here with bow season, and I know we got some other stuff coming up. We've got our uh, we've got our muzzleloader bear and muzzleloader doe season right around the corner here. In fact, as this episode is airing, tomorrow you guys will be able to hit the woods, and uh, that's exactly why we have today's episode airing when we do. Um, I've been able to get out a couple times. Uh, this past week was actually a little bit on the slower side for me between uh, child care and wind and weather. just hasn't happened to get out nearly as much. But uh, I'm planning to do a, a nice scouting mission upstate and hopefully going to check some cameras, move some cameras around, um, just putting some boot leather down just to see what kind of food sources and what kind of sign I have because I'm planning to do some hunting up there in November and into December with our our deer season, uh, deer and bear season overlap. So looking forward to that. Uh, If nothing else, it'll just be a time to get out and enjoy the big woods because I have this infatuation with just being up at camp, uh, I really do. It's just every year it grows more and more on me. But uh, again, hope you guys are having a great, uh, great season so far. And you know, as we're getting closer to having some more seasons open with uh, bear season, I want to revert. We're gonna, we're gonna go back and have. Uh, I'm gonna share this conversation with you that Robbie and I had back in August with Todd Bromley. Todd is the editor of Crossbow Hunter or Crossbow Magazine. I'm sorry, and he is—he's uh, a Pennsylvania boy from Western PA, and he's a—he's a diehard bow hunter. He's a diehard whitetail hunter, and he's really started in the past few years to try to hone in and shoot some bear with the bow. He's—he's sh- he's killed a couple. He's killed, he tells us a little bit about the uh, the large bear that he killed with the bow. I think back in 2015. And he's uh, he's going to talk about scouting a little bit about uh, bear, but we we just have an all around great bow hunting conversation. We kind of start the conversation with getting into bow hunting, bow hunting ethics. We talk about that uh, crossbow hunting debate that goes on within the hunting community, and we just kind of share our thoughts on 
the topic. We get into some bear hunting talk topics. We start to get into some whitetail hunting topics toward the end. We talk about trail camera strategies and mature buck hunting strategies that Todd's used out there where he hunts in western Pennsylvania. And then uh, last thing, he also talks a little bit about some cool stuff he's done in his testing with crossbows with uh, some heavy arrow setups, 200 grain broadheads on crossbows, and just the tinkering around he's done. I, I think it's a conversation that anybody who is bow hunting related, especially crossbow hunters, will find interesting. But I hope you really enjoy the bear hunting aspect of it. I know I took a couple key things away from that conversation that I'm hoping to apply to my own hunting. And uh, yeah, Todd's just a great guy. It was a great conversation with him, so we won't mess around. We'll get right to this episode. Right before we do, though, I just want to leave a big shout-out to Little Mountain Outfitters. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a fantastic archery shop from Richland, Pennsylvania, and they've got whatever you need to get you started. Um, as I've said before on a couple of other episodes, uh, they hooked me up with uh, tinkering with an arrow setup on my spare bow this year. And uh, I'm running a heavier arrow um, over 650 grains. I have a single bevel head, you know, kind of all the stuff that's on the on the, the, the big up and up right now when it comes to the world of heavy arrow, high momentum arrow builds. Uh, I built my own with the help of those guys. And if that's stuff that you're kind of interested or intrigued in, you just want to learn more about, they're a great shop to talk to. And they're also a great shop to just get your hands on some awesome gear from mobile hunting equipment to trail cameras to getting a new bow. They're uh, they're a fantastic shop, and they're excellent bow technicians. There's a ton of knowledge in that shop. I pick their brains all the time for tuning things and equipment, and uh, I think you should give them a try if you're anywhere in that Richland, Pennsylvania area. And with that, let's get to this episode. All right, on the phone with us, we got Mr. Todd Bromley, Crossbow Magazine Editor. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mitchell. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing we're doing well. well. We were just complaining about the weather, man. We had a, we had a 70% chance of rain for today. For, for this, mm-hmm. as, as we're talking, this is Monday. 70% chance of rain, so we thought Saturday perfect time we're gonna we're gonna put fall food plots in and sunday i went to i, I got up and was doing some odds and ends and looked at my phone and it dropped down to like 20 yeah. percent. we got nothing today i'm like are nope. you kidding me you're preaching to the choir i did the exact <laughs> thing i put mine in on saturday and they were calling for four days of rain nothing yesterday nothing today but they're still calling for it the next two days so i've got my fingers crossed anyway i do too we so we we were renting a no-till drill and we we used that and i had a summer blend and i i drilled right through my hope is that with the cover on top hopefully it can serve some moisture and Mm -hmm. even if we do go dry for a little while here hopefully we'll we'll still be all right yeah but so it's a, you, you put a summer blend in, that's what you put in now, or did you put brassic in? No, we had a summer blend that we would have put in, uh, I think we planted it in June. It had okay. you know, it had a, a mixture of summer annuals, it had uh, some grain sorghum and stuff like that. And then as that matured, we planted um, kind of a 50-50 mix. Half of the plot would have been planted in a brassicas mix, and the other half would have been planted in a... Uh, a winter peas and crimson clover mix. 
And okay. we just planted it right through that. The theory is that as those plants that we planted in in June mature, you know, deer can still pick on them as they want. And then the grain sorghum right now, as we speak, is pollinating and, and starting to fill grain. So I figured with the drill, you know, maybe if we run run a bunch of it over and we only get 40% of the heads still standing, it's still food. Um, and then right. hopefully green comes underneath. So a little bit of an experiment, a little bit of a copycat from some other food plotters, um, just tinkering. Whose seed are you running? Are you just running ag seed, or is there a, a particular company that you prefer to use? Or, man, we've tried it all. Um, the, right yeah. now, what I'm doing. Um, so, like I said, I'm an agronomist over here, so I have a lot of connections with um, farmers, seed dealers, and such like that. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know that seed seed's not cheap, and it adds up. So, I started buying some different seeds from a, a cover crop distributor in uh, Columbia County. And I bought uh, I bought some winter peas from him, some crimson clover, and then he had a, a blend of cover crop brassicas. I'm like, hey, just take every brassica you have, come up with a multi multi blend brassica, and I want to try it, and I just want to see. I'm kind of I'm kind of tinkering to see if there'd be anybody that I could work with in the future with food plots. But that's just my own little hobby niche type thing. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm not a farmer by any means, and this this food plots frustrate me. I'm like everyone else. I go online, and it's all oh, I got to do that, and it doesn't work. And I try something else. But right now, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I want rain, and uh, I plant brassicas in one plot, and I put crimson and clover in another, and threw some oats. It's a little early for oats, but I threw them down anyway. Yeah, and, uh, I'd rather wait a couple weeks, but I was. I just had the window, so I put it in there. Can't say I blame you. And like, I, if hopefully I dare I say this, hopefully we don't have any kind of crop failure. But if we do, I mean, we'll overseed with some cereal grains and hopefully just fill some green in. Right, you still got a little time for that. So that's the hope. That's the hope. So hey, we uh, we connected kind of um, kind of over email, um, chatting about Pennsylvania bow hunting, and uh, you know I, I found your your book. Todd, tell me a little bit about your book that you wrote in 2020. Um, yeah, there was a pandemic and I was a little <laughs> slow. I, there was no uh, trade shows or anything because I'm on the trade show circuit. And I'm, I'm busy year round and everything shut down. So I'm like, I'm going to write a book just pertaining to Pennsylvania. You know, I've shot 13 bucks that score over 125 inches in PA, which is, you know, pretty good. And I thought I'm, People are always asking me advice, so I'm just going to, and it's not a big book, it's not a novel by any means, but just some of the things I do different than other guys that I know anyway. So I just put it in that book during the pandemic and published it, and away we went. You know, I share the same passion as you in bow hunting, but also I, I get I get a little bit crazy about chasing mature whitetails. There's, there's something uh. about chasing a mature animal and putting your peak to the, what I think is the pinnacle in the forest. Um, and, and that's my, that's my thing. But one of the things that I appreciated so much in like your first chapter was basically, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in very blunt, simple terms was your way of saying, it really doesn't matter what your thing is. Just go out and enjoy hunting and it, you shouldn't impose anything on anybody. Right. Right. That's, that's always been my saying, you know, I'll do me and you do you. We're all in this together. We're all bow hunters. Um, but I'm I'm the same as you. It's I get up in the morning thinking about big bucks and I go to bed at night thinking about mature bucks and 
that's what winds my clock, but I've been doing it for 45 years. I didn't start out that way. You know, the first 20 years, I was whacking the first buck that came through and, and things like that. But I'm the same way. Now it's all about mature bucks just because it's more challenging. You get more out of your hunt, I think. You know, you're extending your season, things like that. But just because I do it doesn't mean Tom, Dick, and Harry should do it. You know, whatever makes you feel good, you go do it. And I'm just throwing out information that I've learned in 45 years, just specifically hunting PA. And if it helps somebody, that's great. What uh, What was the turning point? You said the first, like, 20 years you were shooting the first book, and now you're aiming it, in on all these mature books. What was that? What was that turning well, point? Well, once, once I got my kids out of the house, you know, that – that opened up a lot of free time, and then I got to the point where I could go out and almost kill a, a year and a half buck almost every time you went into the woods, you know. Yeah. And it's boy, this this just isn't doing it for me anymore. I wait all year and I prep, and then boom, I'm done the first day of the season with a sixty-inch buck or something like mm -hmm. that. So I just started, you know, trying to find a good buck, and this was before antler restrictions, and they're really. There wasn't a lot of big bucks around, but I locked on to a 130, and it took me three years to kill him. I just hunted that buck specifically, and then I was hooked after that. There is something addicting about it. Um, you know, onto the you know, kind of on that same page, talking about letting people do their own thing. You know, before uh, before we got started here, we were kind of talking about uh, your journey. You know, crossing over into into the world of crossbows, and right. that's a that's a very uh, you got to tread lightly kind of conversation because you ruffle some feathers. And I mean, that's, that's kind of a tough one. And I, I, I never quite understood that it's, it's something different. And the way I looked at it, um, was when, when crossbows were legalized in Pennsylvania and, you know, people were in an uproar about it, the exact same thing had to happen. And this is showing my age, I wouldn't have been alive for this, but when compounds were legalized, the same thing had to happen among right. the archer yeah. community. It, it's almost the exact same thing, and I was alive for it. I started shortly after the compound hit the scene, but uh, it, it was basically the same, but there were, there was still, it still wasn't the same as crossbows because there wasn't as many bow hunters, so there wasn't the vitriol out there, and there wasn't social media, and, you know, so if people hated you, you didn't know it. You know, <laughs> now if someone in California hates me, I know it. <laughs> before i didn't have a clue so but that, that's just the age we live in and that's the way people are and i think it's going to get better because our numbers are dropping so fast that we're just going to have to stick together that's all there is to it we absolutely have to i mean crossbows have really recruited a lot of hunters into archery season that's that's one of the the things they say you know and and i've been doing this now for 11 years crossbows and, and traveling around the world and hunting stuff with crossbows. But I haven't seen the recruitment like I like a lot of people okay. say. There is, you know, like the manufacturers say we're recruiting. I haven't seen that. Where I've seen the most recruitment is with female hunters. They seem to have got the confidence or their parents got the confidence to let them try archery hunting. And uh, I've seen big, big recruitment with female hunters and then keeping our older bow hunters in the woods the ones that weren't too proud to put the compound down pick up a crossbow just so they could keep doing what they love so that's that's where i think the crossbows have really helped the most 
do you still find yourself shooting traditional bows or compound bows yeah. at all? I shoot. Uh, I don't shoot compound anymore. I shoot traditional three, four times a week. I, I don't have the confidence or put the work ethic into it like I did when I was younger to go out and hunt with it. I just plink in the backyard, you know, 15 yards. I enjoy that. It, the drive doesn't change necessarily from the standpoint of the equipment, but the 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 pursuit i mean that's what that's really what it's all about i mean the, the mature buck doesn't care what it gets killed with right <laughs> right yeah it, it prefers not to get killed with anything so <laughs> that's always been my philosophy i've never been a method guy like i said previously mm -hmm. it's it's always been about the hunt and uh it, it felt the same to me whether i shot a buck with a recurve compound or crossbow it, it was always i've set up the same since the 70s i set up for a 20 yard shot you know i play the wind mm -hmm do my due diligence with my scouting and it it just hasn't changed for me regardless of what weapon i kill them with that's what it seems to be like with a lot of crossbow hunters like my dad he's his crossbow now and uh my uncle and like you just said their philosophy on going about hunting hasn't changed they're still taking the same ethical shots the same same range they're still hunting they're just using something that is more advantageous to them because they either don't practice enough with their compound or, or they don't have the time or physically they can't do it. So, yeah, right. And I, I think the the people who were bow hunters previously and picked up crossbows, it hasn't changed where we ran into a little bit of trouble was all the firearm hunters that jump ship, you know, and that kind of made the bow hunters mad and they were now crashing through their woods and disturbing their ambiance of the hunt. And I get all that and they were stretching shots, but I don't think it was, as bad as the anti-crossbow people tried to make it sound, I still don't know of guys shooting 100 yards like you hear all the time. No. I just And I talk to more crossbow hunters than anybody. So I just think, and, and those guys, those rifle hunters that, that picked up crossbows, they kind of fell by the wayside pretty quick. They either pick, picked it up that, you know, they had to use their uh, ability to get close or they just sold them because they found out they weren't like rifles at all. Well, you got to realize that it's a learning curve. When you step from rifle hunting and take something with a stick and string, whether that's horizontal or vertical, there is a major learning curve into shooting deer and then consistently shooting deer. That's a whole nother ball game. The one question I have for you with your experience in crossbows is do you think um, the crossbow hunting community is under more of a fine tooth comb in that with, with respect to that learning curve? Like I think about um, – when I was a bow hunter and I was 12 years old, I mean, I made mistakes when I was 12 years old with my compound. Um, and I had a learning curve to understand, the, you know, shot angles, shot placement, distances, stuff like that. Do you think that that learning curve is, stays the same when the bow becomes horizontal? Or is there any differences there in your mind? I think the big difference is that um, the, the people who are, are – truly the elder statesmen of the sports that if they would educate instead of promoting segregation, you know, if, if we could educate these crossbow hunters, whatever, whatever age they are, they're, they're beginning hunters, even if they're 40 or if they're 12 and they need to learn, they need to be educated. You just can't bash them. That, right. That's kind of what bothers me. If, you know, if I, when I picked up a compound in the seventies, it was hard enough. If I had people hating on me the whole time, I'd have probably just put the thing down, curled up in the fetal position somewhere <laughs> because it, it's ridiculous. If we can educate them, 
I think it would be a lot better than just saying, oh, they need to have their own season or they need to be outlawed or whatever. That's my opinion. I think they're definitely under more scrutiny. Every time we do something like that where we try to separate each other, that's just one more notch in the belt for the anti-hunting community and their agenda. I agree. I agree. And there's no doubt I'll be the first one to tell you crossbows are easier than compounds. They're just like a compound is easier than a recurve. It's absolutely the easiest method of bow hunting, but it's still bow hunting in my mind. It's still a close-range weapon. You have to have the skills. You have to learn it. So that's my take on it. I just think we need to stick together. So your book, you kind of focused a lot about Pennsylvania, and you had a lot about whitetails in there, but you had some parts at the end of it, um, black bear and turkey hunting. So my first question I have is, do you still pick the gun up at all, or are you strictly a bow hunter? No, I haven't picked up a firearm in 15, 20 years, something like that. It's I, I was strictly a compound hunter. Then when I went to crossbow, it's just been uh, strictly crossbow for the last 11 years. And, uh, you know, I had, I had found a lot of your content. You know, you put some, you put some stuff up on the, the crossbow hunter magazine, YouTube channel. And, uh, mm-hmm. there was, there was some pretty cool videos of you trying to hunt bear in Pennsylvania, which, you know, as most people listening to this podcast, if they're from Pennsylvania, know that, you know, we have to hunt bear, you know, the old way, no baiting, no hounds, no nothing like that. It's, it's man against beast. And uh, it's quite an accomplishment to uh, to kill a bear in Pennsylvania with a bow. It is. Um, it's getting easier because there's more bears, but it's still still a pretty rare occurrence. Like you said, without baiting them, you got to be on your A game. And, and I just started really bear hunting like the last seven years with my bow, just because they've moved to this side of the state more. They're more, more centralized. And... It's really been exciting for me because I'm learning. It's like starting deer hunting all over. You know, you, you guys and me, we can walk through the woods and see deer sign without even trying. You know, it's just second nature at this point. But when you're bear hunting, you know, I'm learning every year. Like, oh, that's bear sign. Or, you know, there's a bear was here or a bear did that. So I'm really enjoying the process. I've been on bears almost every year. Um, I just, you know, I get them in range, but. The areas I'm hunting, it's so thick, I haven't been able to get a lot of shots. But, you know, I've got a few, so I'm getting there. Yeah, you and you, uh, was that in your book I read that 20, 2015, you killed an absolute dandy of a, of a boar? Yeah, Big Boot and Crockett. He was 15th in the state at the time. 15th largest bear ever killed in the state at the time. I think he's been pushed back to the 20-something now, but mm-hmm. he's a big bear. 541, he, he, he weighed. What lessons did you learn from that bear that led you to, you know, getting a little bit closer and putting pieces of the puzzle together each year in your scouting mission as you pursue bear? Um, corn, it, uh, on the western part of the state where I hunt, I learned that corn was the, really what the bears were focusing on, and I thought I could just hunt corn and uh, be fairly successful because I shot that bear on the edge of a cornfield. But what I've learned since then is even though that's the draw to them that I had to get way back, you know, they're coming for miles sometimes to hit those cornfields. And so, you know, just like the deer moved to their feeding and the bears were the same way. And I'm like now I'm hunting an area where there's several cornfields and I'm probably some of my stands are, I don't know, mile, two miles back off of those cornfields. So. That, that's been the biggest thing. And 
it, it's all about the food, even though we can't bait them. It's still the food source for bear, especially that time of the year, that October. You know, they're just piling on calories, trying to get fat before they hibernate. So any any food sources can change daily. And you find the food, you'll find the bears. I would have to imagine from 2015 till the present day that we you've seen a change in the hunting pressure, and that's had to have an effect on your 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 process in the fall too. I've actually seen hunting pressure decrease as far as as far as bow hunters, but what what's changed is they've opened up these additional seasons for the seniors mm. um, with the gun hunters you know, and the use for bear and. Uh, I've seen more pressure that way with the driving and stuff, and that's kind of made it more difficult because the, the bears will just lay up. You know, they'll, they'll wait till it gets dark, just like a big buck will. So I've I watched some of your scouting videos that you had posted. You were after uh, a a, dare, a bear you called Treadwell, isn't that, isn't that what you called him? That yeah, was, Nick Treadwell. Those are pretty cool. He was huge. Okay. Tell me about him. I mean, that was a, it was kind of an interesting series of videos. And, and, you know, for people who are listening to this and never watched any of those videos, I mean, you had some pretty, um, I'm going to say, advanced ideas for, for scouting for bear that I, I really liked. I mean, kind of kind of share with us your, your scouting process last year going in after that bear. I, I started, last year was the second or third year I was hunting them, and the reason I started the video was because I thought I was going to kill them. I thought I was on them that good that I said, I'm going to I'm going to do this start to finish because I'm going to kill this bear. Then I never seen them. Mm. So um, it, it was just a matter of running trail cameras. Uh, I started running trail cameras at food sources and backing them into the thick stuff and uh Droning. I, I incorporated drones now into my scouting for bears because you can fly them over these big acre cornfields and you can see where the rolls are and stuff so you know which, which cornfields are being worked by the bears. And just just working things back from the food towards the bedding, trying to with trail cameras. Not on some of the public, that's more difficult because some of the federal lands, you're not allowed to run trail cameras. And I'm, I'm hunting some of the fed property, so you can only get to that mm. limit. And then you got to do your boots on the ground scouting. Uh, but I started, it was year-round. I never stopped. I did it year, even when they were hibernated. You know, I was just looking. You can still find some sign with, you know, trees that are tore up and things like that. Have a trail cameras been a been a big tool for you for a while now or did you just start getting into them nah, trail cameras yeah. pretty much changed the game for me i've been doing them ever since they came out okay uh, thank goodness they've gone digital now we don't have to develop film and burn batteries the big <laughs> batteries anyway but yeah i run probably 30 30 trail cameras a year okay i haven't i haven't graduated to the cellular cams yet only because i don't want to financially buy 30 of them at one time but i would like to start incorporating them in uh, but another factor is i lose a lot of cameras to bears and i don't want to pay that kind of money and have them devoured either yeah. so i think that's one of the reasons why i want to kill another one so bad is they've been after my cameras so freaking yeah. bad <laughs> i can't keep them off my cameras i've tried everything you know i only i wipe them down i only handle them with uh, latex gloves on but i don't know people have told me they smell the batteries and hear them i don't know i can't keep them off well, my camera and this is a new one i just heard somebody told me that some of the batteries the the plastic that they they use and make the molds around the cameras has some type of oil 
and some <laughs> of them have like a fish oil scent, they, uh, which it sounds ridiculous, but you hear all kinds of stuff, and I don't know what it is, but man, I, 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 I'm going to put this in for a bear hunting piece of advice. You want to kill a bear? Go and do your scouting, stick a camera up in that area, but then sit there for 48 hours straight, and you'll see one. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good strategy. And pop-up blinds are kind of the same way. I don't know a bear that can resist walking by a pop-up blind without destroying it. Yeah. That, there might be some to that. There might be some kind of, because they definitely, even if you get them up in the air, they'll pick them out. They're, they're definitely curious boogers. So um, I, I've done my fair share of bear hunting, but I would definitely not consider myself a bear hunter. I'm somebody who goes bear hunting with a group of guys, and I've learned some things. But, uh, again, I make that transition from rifle hunting to bow hunting. You only have to learn so much and still be successful and i've kind of plateaued and i'm i'm trying to take it to the next level so i'm going to sound very very uh beginner-esque i guess is the word i'm looking for uh, with my with the question i'm going to ask here but when i think of reading bear sign i think about finding scat finding tracks and maybe finding some paths that relate out of a, a thicket or a swamp or stuff but i mean and you're journey here of starting to actually pursue and scout bears year round like have you noticed more things than just the simple things that stand you know stand out to the average joe hunter probably the two biggest things um i was just like you with with the basic sign is skunk cabbage i can't believe how much bears eat skunk cabbage and you can actually see bites right out of it and i've seen that for years, I never realized that. I just walked past it. But once I started uh, getting bears on video camera, eating the skunk cabbage, or laying there, you'll come to a spot where the skunk cabbage is all flat, and you're like, all right, it's flat. I don't know why, but, you know, the bears will lay there and just eat that skunk cabbage. So that, that was pretty eye-opening. Um, and another thing is, in fruit trees, if you really – Look at the trees. You can see claw marks going up into the trees. The small bears, you know, like the, I've never seen a huge bear go up a fruit tree, but I've seen like 200 pounders go up there and get apples and stuff. And, and if you really look at the trees, you can see claw marks in, in the bark. So those were the two biggest things besides the, the pass and the scat things like that well that's really interesting the skunk cabbage thing skunk cabbage would be something that you know that would be a viable food source in october yet wouldn't it um if it's 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 really in the spring is when they really hammer it because they're coming out of hibernation this right. was one of the first things um that it tends to die off but you can still find pockets of it and i'm telling you they love this stuff and if you walk by and, you'll, and they have big leaves on them and you'll see like a semi-moon out of one a bear just took a bite out of it so I'm definitely, when it comes to thinking about whitetails, I've noticed a trend a, a lot, and you've heard a lot of bow hunters, and I know you're you're going to be very familiar with what I'm about to say about the uh, that that whitetail shift, that fall shift that happens, that velvet comes off, and kind of a transition gets made to like almost like a fall portion of their home range. And, uh, you know, I've targeted some individual deer that had very specific things that they did throughout the course of a year and get to see that for a couple of years. And you, you really learn stuff like that. And, you know, we've already talked that, you know, bears live and die by their stomach. 
And I'm wondering, as I've done some scouting and I've had, you know, I've picked bears up on cameras, I've seen signs certain portions of the year. Do you notice the flip of a switch throughout any time of the year? Or are you just constantly trying to look ahead at food sources? Tell me a little bit about that, because I get nervous when I'm scouting in August that I'm going to be behind the eight ball when it gets to, you know, our October 15th opener, I believe it is. Yeah, you it. It's a crapshoot. It really is. The sows will have a, a fairly consistent home range, but it still may be three three to five miles, which is pretty big when you get thinking about it. Uh, and the boars, there seems to be no rhyme or reason. Like, when they're in the area, I know where they're going to be, but I don't know when they're going to be. And I just hope they fall in, in the archery season. Mm. And now that the, the archery season has stretched to three weeks, I've got a better chance at it, but yeah, there's, there's no rhyme or reason. Knock a few years ago, I had nine different bears on camera using a Creek crossing up to two days before the season. And I had several stands hung for different wind directions, just knowing I was going to kill a bear and I never saw a bear. They just switched to me just like that. So it's a crapshoot. Sows are a little better at their home range, and that that's the best I can do. When they're in the area, I know where they're going to be, but I don't know when they're going to be there. I just hope it's when the season's open and I'm going to stand. The area you're hunting, I'm assuming a lot of the food sources you talked about, corn, you talked about you know, seeing some skunk cabbage and fruit trees. I'm assuming acorns would be... Another, do you have give beech nuts out in your area? Like, what are some of the other food sources you you see bear, especially relating to fall? The the winter berries and the, the huckleberries. Um, the winter berries. Uh, the one area I'm hunting is a swamp, but it has a lot of winter berries. And even though they're the size of a, a raisin, them bears will just stay in there and hammer them for hours at a time. I don't. You'd think they'd have to eat thirty million of them to get full, but they like them. And they'll, they'll stay in there and just work those bushes until they're all gone. Hmm. Yeah, and I looked some of the videos you were you were posting of getting back in, so to speak, getting back into some of those bedding areas, uh, areas of security. Man, you really were getting back in, and there was some pretty ugly navigation in some of those locations. And tell tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, a lot of water. And those bears don't mind getting wet, surprisingly. That was another thing that kind of surprised me. I thought, oh, bears not going to get through that. And they don't have any problem where, you know, things that took a boat to get back into, they would just swim it or navigate it somehow and get back in. Uh, that that was that was pretty eye-opening, that the way they, they didn't mind the water. Uh, but that's the problem I'm running into. Those particular videos are shot on federal property, and I can't cut shooting lanes or anything like that. Mm. And so that's where I'm running into getting bears inside of 15, 20 yards and not being able to get an arrow to them. Hmm. So it's just a matter of they got to hit the right spot at the right time, and it hasn't happened in the last couple of years for me. But i got lots of great video from my tree stand of bears 20 yards away, but... Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely got to be frustrating. I mean, you've you said you've killed you killed big one. You killed one other bear with a bow. Yeah, one other bear. It was uh, just over a hundred pounds. It was the uh, three year old. There's nothing that's wrong with that. Th- any 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 bear that's mature is a, a, a yeah. Trophy. Yeah, that's another thing. It's just 
they're so hard to gauge size wise, you know. And I hunt Canada a lot too. I hunt them in Canada over bait, or I used to before you had to have the vaccine, which I'm an anti-vaxxer. I don't want to go that way, but I can't get across the border anymore. Um, and it's so hard to, to, to gauge a bear, especially in PA. I don't know how these guys, well, I don't think they really care. The guys on the drives, they're just shooting at them as they run by. But even when you're in a tree stand, it, it's hard to put a size on them, unless you have like a history with that big one I had. You know, I, I had so many videos of it, I had a pretty good idea, so... Yeah, my brother had the experience gauging a size of a bear just oh. this past year. He he's never seen a bear while hunting. He's seen bear driving and everything, never while hunting. And it was the uh, the weekend with the deer bear crossover, and a bear came six yards underneath his tree stand, and he thought it was too small, never shot it. And if it's the same one, my cousin thinks it's like a hundred hundred twenty pound bear that past him but my brother thought it was too small don't blame him i mean he's never seen it he said he was shaking like crazy too yeah i think there was a little (laughs) bit of bear fever going on with that boy yeah usually it goes the other way you shoot it think it's 500 pounds yeah 50 but yeah i'll never forget 2014 i shot my second one with a rifle and uh it was a sow and you know, again, even after it was on the ground, we were really, you know, we always have that, that camaraderie in camp and we have a have a weight pool, you know, put put a buck in the pool and see who's got right. closest. And I'll never forget that I shot it on, on Saturday and the, the check station said, do not come. It's an icy, rainy mess. Like, come tomorrow, you know, travel safely. So we showed up at the check station Sunday morning and I mean, it was polluted with trucks. You know, everybody did that same thing and there's bear everywhere. So we're sitting in the line waiting to go in. And of course, everybody's got their tailgates down. We're going around looking at bears and we're watching them go up on the, on the scales. And I'll never forget. There was this one boar that went up on the scale and it was two Oh six. And I looked at that bear and I, and we looked at each other and we're like, Man, mine's gonna be like two thirty. I mean, it is. She, she looks way bigger than that, and she went up on the scale and she was one eighty one. And I, yeah. I'll never forget when we when we skinned her. I'm probably exaggerating, but I swear there was like six inches of fat on her rump. She just looked like this inflated balloon, and she just looked so big. But you know, her her field dress weight was one eighty one. Yeah, that's something. How that. That, that perception, um, I don't know why they're like that, but they are hard to judge. Even if you've shot a lot of them, you know, they're hard to tell. I got the the pleasure of working with the Game Commission biologist this year, the bear biologist at a check station out in Lycoming County. That was pretty neat to see all the, the bears come in and the process. You know, you don't get to see 10, 20, 30 bears a day usually like that. So I enjoyed that process, too. Yeah, we uh, we just did an episode this spring with with Emily, the bear biologist. That was that was a really cool episode. We yeah. learned a lot about that. I mean, talking about home ranges and you know you know food. And, she knows you know, her how, stuff. Yeah, she's yeah. a good girl. She knows her stuff. Absolutely. I mean, if you guys are looking for information on bear, that was a that was a great episode. But Emily's full of knowledge. Um, I kind of want to go back on the and navigate a little bit more about that bear treadwell. So you were on that bear and uh, he just vanished. Did you sh- actually get any pictures of him in 2021? No, no. The year I started making the videos is the year he disappeared. Never saw him. I don't know. 
no one would have shot him. We'd have heard about it. You know, he'd have had to have been checked and you'd have heard about it. And I'm, I'm sure he didn't die of natural causes. So I'm hoping he shows up again this year. You know, whether he just changed his patterns and didn't step in front of the cameras where he was at the previous two years or what, but he just vanished on me. Would, would there have been anything different about the growing season or, or a mass crop or anything last year that stands out in your mind that maybe would have said, well, maybe he just shifted because of this food source? The only thing, it, there may have been a different mass crop somewhere, but the, the ag fields were exactly the same, and he was working in one cornfield, and it was all the cornfields were in the exact same field. So uh, there was nothing to my eye that why he would have shifted, but he did. He was gone. So was the was the scouting process going into this season, 2022, did that look any different this year compared to last year for you? I decided to back it off a little bit because I had been doing it year-round. I decided um, the, the, the stands that I could prep, I prepped right after the first of the year, December and January. And then I stayed out, and I just put my cameras up the, the 1st of August. I said, you know, I've been beating this bush in here for the past two, three years on these bears. I'm just going to leave them alone this year. I think I've got enough of a backlog that I know what they're going to do and where they're going to be. So I'm just going to run cameras closer to the food sources. And if they're there at night, fine. I know where they're coming from, and, and that's the way I'm going to hunt them this year. Try not to put as much pressure on them, kind of like you do deer hunting. Yeah, kind of, kind of doing that back trail back to the bedroom. Um, yeah, so to speak. And, and, I, and I know where they're bedding, you know, and I, I know the food sources in the woods where they're at after two, three years, so I've just backed off this year. I think one of the things I'm learning as we talk with people who are, you know, avid bear hunters and, you know, you know, learning to be a steward of that animal, I, uh, I think I just underestimate the amount of boot leather that's just necessary to just understand just because I'm so used to the home range of a whitetail. And, uh, right. and even if a mature buck's home range is two to three square miles, that's a significant difference than, I, what, what did Emily say? It was like 23 miles something for a male. Like that, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. 22, 20, yeah. 23 square miles. I mean, that's astronomical. Yeah, it's and, massive. And, uh, you know, you look, at the, you look at the harvest maps every year, and I always love to go in and click on every county and see where those those codes are. And I know there's years that where I'll hunt in the county that I hunt in, and uh, like last year, we had a we had a poor bear hunting year. We were lucky as a camp; we killed one, but we did not see a lot of sign. We saw one bear the entire time with our group, and we were fortunate enough that we harvested it. And when you look at the the townships and such where we were hunting, it was a lower than average kill. But you just navigate uh, up into the top part of that county, and you'll see this like giant red out area of one township. And it was like something had those bears congregated in that food source. And, uh, you know, I don't hunt near as much uh, surrounding ag land. It's more big woods. And I think it's just, I'm just amazed that, you know, I probably don't cover near the amount of ground to find and fine tune the food sources and then do that homework backwards to those bedrooms. Right. It's a process. It takes a lot of time, you know, in, in, I, I'm not familiar with the type of terrain you hunt, so I might not even be able to do that. Sure. And I, I sure don't consider myself a bear hunting expert. I'm just learning every year. I've just been fortunate to this point. 
Um, I do consider myself a bear hunter because I hunt the crap out of them. I'm just not a bear killer. I don't, I don't kill them, but I hunt them. So. I tell you what, I don't know a single person that kills Pennsylvania bear with a bow consistently. And if I do, I'd love to meet him and talk with him. And I'm sure he would never want to come on our show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to hear that show. I hope you find somebody that's got 10 of them under their belt or something like that. I'd I'd be interested in listening to that myself. Hey, we'll keep grinding and prying and see what we find. But anything got you fired up about this fall specifically? Uh Deer hunting right now, I'm going to get into some deer hunting and then uh, shift over to bear. So just, just the same same process year in, year out. So Are you able to um, capitalize on the special rigs and, and hunt in any of the, the special early seasons, or do you hunt on the, the October 1 opener? Yeah, I just hunt on the, the October opener, the statewide opener. I like, I get, I'm fortunate I get to travel around the world and do a lot of hunting, but I like to do all my bear or not on my bear, all my deer hunting in PA, just, you know, that's how I've always done it, so I, I don't hunt deer anywhere but PA. Okay. Like, re- like doing my own thing. That's really interesting, and I like that because I, I know a ton of people who um, hunt all over the place, and the, the least amount of the time they spend deer hunting is in Pennsylvania. I think we got a great state to hunt oh, yeah. deer in. Um, I think a lot of people miss out. It's just not the Midwest, and it's not what the hunting industry has made it Right. Yeah. When you're comparing, I mean, you're comparing apples and oranges. When you're comparing Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, with you know Kansas, Nebraska, you know that's tough. When you're comparing it to to you know Keystone State, it's just different. Right. And I, I live close to Ohio, and there's been years I've I've bounced across the line, just do it yourself stuff, you know. But I'm just in, in PA now, and I hunt age. I don't hunt antlers because, like you said, you can't compare a PA buck to an Iowa. You know, a six-year-old buck's going to look different in PA than it does in Iowa. And I'll gladly shoot a 140 and 150 in PA that's six or seven and be tickled to death just like a 180 in Iowa. So, You know, we talked with Corey Golvis a few weeks ago who Corey killed that, you know, fantastic, mm-hmm. like, 190-inch deer yeah. in northern Pennsylvania with his recurve. And talking with him, he's like, you know, that deer was a blessing and I was thrilled to hunt that deer. But, you know, I'm hunting, he goes, I'm hunting mature deer. And he goes, if it's a, if I believe it's a five or six year old deer and that deer scores 80 inches, that is a trophy in my mind to take that off of that mountain. And I'm like, man, I couldn't, I couldn't agree (laughs) any more with that statement. It's so true because I don't care if it's got 80 inches of bone or 180 inches of bone. I don't think there's any difference in what's between the ears of that deer and how he's got to that age class. He's still a hard deer to hunt. Absolutely. Once they get four years old in PA, they're they're almost impossible. You know, you're up against a master at that point. Yeah. And I agree. I I, I agree a hundred percent. What do you uh, do? You have anything um, that you've been following the past few years as far as whitetails that really has you fired up for this season? Yeah, I've always got two or three lines. I've started. What really started setting me different was I started hunting them instead of like trying to do it all in a year i started hunting them on an annual pattern instead of a weekly pattern and that's really helped me tremendously you know they do the same things year in and year out and i get a history with the buck so i've always got a couple that are four or five six years old that that i can hunt and i've got a history with them so that that's what kind of 
where I'm at in my bow hunting career as far as deer now. So when I make a move on a deer, I've got a pretty good idea where he's at and what he's going to be doing. I've got trail camera pictures of him and things like that. One of the things I've learned using regular trail cameras is while they're great in the season when I have the opportunity to pull them, I mean, I, I try to be methodical with when I pull a camera because every time you go into that location, you're you're putting some disturbance in, right? And, right. Uh, you know, camera camera stations that we have i'm only going to pull it if i'm hunting that location and the wind is right and when you know either before or when i'm done i'm going to try to pull that card if possible and if there's anything on the way with that access i mean a lot of the access that i'm thinking about on some of the properties i hunt it's kind of on the the perimeter of that property so if i'm you know let's say i'm walking on the east side of the property and it's a west wind blowing my my scent off of the property um you know if i've got a couple cameras on the way i'll maybe i can sneak in if i think i won't bump anything that's bedded or or close to feeding what have you but you know even a week I think you you miss that opportunity. You're, you're you're a week behind. I feel all the time, and I've really learned that those cameras are every bit, if not more, important for that annual data and and being able to profile a deer and then and then say, well, hey, I have two years that you know around the fifteenth to the twenty fifth of October. Man, he did this two years in a row. I mean, there's nothing saying he's gonna again. But if I had a betting man, that's where I put my odds. Right, and that's what I found, and that's the way I've started hunting, and it, and it pans out more often than it doesn't. You know, if they're in a certain area at a certain time of the year, by golly, they seem to do it year after year. You know, whatever that that is. So, um, I I do do things a little different with my trail cameras. Like you, I keep them on the perimeters, and as I said, I'm in ag country, so it, it's broken farmland. The further I get from one road, the closer I get to another. Uh, so I do check my trail cameras every day once the season opens, but I have them all set up on like field edges where I'm not going anywhere near my stands or, or pinch points that I'm hunting. And I can see if, all right, if the deer's here at a certain time, I know he's on his feet, you know, back in at a certain time. And, when, and you know, when it gets closer to like, geez, he got here like five minutes after dark. So I know he was up a half hour before he get here. And then that's kind of when I make my move. I think that's a big context point. Anybody listening to this, um, you know, you just heard me say I'm trying to not pull my cameras unless I'm, in, you know, entering that position. And you say you're in ag country and you're pulling every day. And the context there is the property type, and you know, the, the difference with me is I'm hunting a a large ridge that is south facing, and the entire property that I have access to hunt is monotonous oak hickory forest. Um, I say it's monotonous. There's been clear cuts. There's openings cleared with food plots on it. There's a lot of, you know, habitats, you know, strategic things done to it, but it's still relatively the same type of habitat and, uh, they relate to ag to the South of us. So while I have a general idea where deer are going to be bedding, it's really this big chunk of ground that they could be bedding in. And I feel like every time I step foot into a ground, that's basically a potential bedding area. I might be doing a disservice to my hunting. Um, you, on the other hand, the type of hunting and the terrain and the, the level of um, human interaction, whether that's uh, farm equipment or pickup trucks on farm lanes and stuff like that, like that is a fantastic opportunity to get MRI. Hey, the the Big Ten finally just showed up. He wasn't here last week of September, but first week of October, he just showed up, and you probably did no harm in doing that. 
Right, yeah, and there's no doubt that this type of terrain is, is the easiest to hunt when it comes to mature bucks. It's, it's just easier to access, you know, easier to pattern. There's no doubt about that. The stuff you're hunting, I don't know how I would approach that. I'd have a little learning curve to that, I'm sure. But as far as the trail cameras, that's why I check them every day because if you're two days behind, you got to hunt that buck when he's there now. When he's moving now, you got to be there. If you're two days behind, he might be a mile up the road, you know. You betcha. So, just like you're saying, it's the two different habitat types. Yeah, and I, I think that's why you get into so many, like like we were talking in the beginning, when we were talking about uh, controversy over crossbows and controversy over you know, who knows whatever people want to make controversy. They'll, they'll just make controversy about anything. But <laughs> broadheads. I mean, I mean, yeah, broadheads, that's another good <laughs> that's That's a whole topic in and of itself, but... You shoot with an expandable? What the heck's wrong with you, Robbie? Or, well, I don't know why you shoot anything less than 200 grains up front. Like, yeah, that was uh, – I saw that the other day online that someone was saying that heavier arrows uh, are a fad and that no one should ever shoot heavier arrow setups and all that. And I've never – I didn't even know that was a debate – between I knew there are heavier setups and lighter and lighter setups, but I didn't know people are that serious about it or that passionate about it that that there's controversy over that now. Yeah, guys will argue over anything. It's crazy. But I mean, what we were getting out there, like you talked about arguing stuff, like the the context thing of just strategizing over whitetails. I mean, somebody could hear what I said and be like, man, Mitch is an idiot. What's he talking about? But it's it's all context. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, people who understand uh, whitetails, understand mature bucks, um, they really are the same across the board. What's in between their mind? I don't believe that there's a difference um, – across most of the country and what's between a deer's mind i think they operate they're they're genetically programmed the same but the human element and the the terrain in which they they reside in provides them you know opportunity to to win this better you know hill country might provide thermal advantage for them that we wouldn't get or you know a more populated area you might get away with more um, human intrusion than a place that's big monotonous timber but at the end of the day they've got their core bubble where they feel secure and i think any good bow hunter figures out i need to figure out how to not mess that core security zone up and then figure out how to kill him yeah, I couldn't agree more. You couldn't have said it any better. I agree a hundred percent. Well, I did something right. I'll have to tell my wife I did something right. I got, I got, I got Todd's approval. I'm yeah. good with that. Yep. I agree. I don't know. I agree. I don't know if it's right or not, but I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Robbie brought up a good point talking about heavy arrows, and that is kind of a new. Have you, um, with with your uh, with your exposure in, in crossbow magazine in the world of crossbows, um, has any of that kind of worked its way over into the crossbow world as far as heavy you know weight of arrows and setups like i just listened to um the o2 podcast the ohio outdoors guys they just did an episode a three-part series with dr ed ashby from the ashby bow hunting foundation talking about you know momentum and height you know a 12 factor arrow and stuff and that it it challenges a lot of what about I know about archery and archery arrow setups and stuff, but it's really got me interested. I'm wondering, like, you know, is that stuff that's on your radar? Like, t- tell me a little bit about that. 
Absolutely it is. And I'm fortunate. I work in the industry. I get to consult with a lot of companies too. So I'm, I'm testing products throughout the year. Uh, but the, the heavy arrow thing, it's something I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of and a proponent of with crossbows. I'm, I'm actually shooting over a 600 grain arrow with a fixed blade head. You know, these crossbows are shooting 500 feet per second. So I could put all this weight out there and still shoot 400 feet per second, which is, is crazy. Right? Yeah. You know, I can drive it through a cement block, and, and there's more videos on Crossbow Magazine YouTube channel where I, I'm shooting these fixed blades heads in the cement blocks and just sticking them in there. But absolutely, I think there's something to the heavier, heavier arrow. I'm shooting about 25 FOC, you know, wow. really, really heavy up front. Yeah, quiet tames the crossbows down. For some reason, these manufacturers want to go fast. I don't know why. I'm, I'm in their ear all the time preaching, you know, let's go lighter. Let's get more ergonomic friendly here. You know, I, I don't need the flame. So I don't need to shoot 500 feet per second at 20 yards. You know, you know, let's, let's, we can back these down some and make them more ergonomically friendly, lighter, narrower, and go that route. But for some reason, they're pushing this speed thing. And the more they push the speed thing, I like the heavier setups because I can slow the bows down, calm down the, the vibration and everything. Man, that's music to my ears when you're talking about setups because I think one of my biggest complaints would be the inefficiencies of arrow delivery because in my mind, most of those bolts are a little bit too light. And while they will still handle um, a broadside quartering away shot, um, I've heard a lot of people... Um, talk about you know can't getting fixed blade broadheads to fly that's why they shoot expandables and you know I don't really want to go down the rabbit hole of the fixed versus expandable I'm somebody who prefers to shoot a fixed blade broadhead just because I know I'm getting what I'm getting um, mm -hmm. you know I've, I've done I've done my testing and that's what I've landed on and feeling comfortable and uh, there's there's definitely some positives when you shoot an expandable and there's there's possible drawbacks one of the drawbacks I feel is um, quartering shots, certain heads definitely have a little bit more chance of deflection um, uh, from from the testing I've done. And it seems like if you have a lighter setup that doesn't have that penetration force, you know, it could potentially cause factor. But I'm really interested that 25 FOC and 600 grain arrow, I mean, tell me, I know that's probably a, a very lengthy answer, but tell me how you landed in getting to that like equipment and tinkering because i think most people hear that and that's intimidating but i think it's a good setup well i didn't want to i didn't want to just jump to any conclusion and i just wrote like a, a five-page article on this it's going to be in north american bow hunter and it also ran in crossbow magazine you can see that on our digital issue i took a year and i shot nothing but expandables all around the world and i took a year and i shot fixed blades all around the world from africa from the Hudson Bay to the Indian Ocean and everything in between. And because I really wanted to have a good sense, I didn't want to just be one of these guys who spills their beer on the keyboard saying you shouldn't shoot expandable, blah, blah, blah. I really wanted to understand it. And I'll probably ruffle some feathers with your listeners, but I come back to the conclusion. We love ruffling feathers. Yeah. <laughs> you, there, there is absolutely no reason to shoot an expandable broadhead. <laughs> if you can get your arrows tuned, Fixed blades are, are hands down better across the board, but the guys go to these expandables because they can't get them to fly. 
you know, these fast, they don't know how to tune the bows, don't know how to tune the arrows. And that's how, after after two years of messing with this stuff, when I started working with the broadhead company, and they, they made a 200-grain broadhead. And so we started screwing them on 400-grain arrows, you know, and then we started playing with weights from there. And I don't advocate long shots with the crossbow. I, I believe everything should be kept. 20, 30 yards and in, all bow hunting distance. But for testing purposes, we were shooting out to 100 yards. And with that arrow at over 600 grains, with a 200-grain fixed blade on, I could hold a 2-inch group at 100 yards out of a crossbow. Now, you can't get them to fly any better than that. And I'm not advocating that. That was just done for testing purposes because right. I can sell the industry and stuff. And there's... You can't get any better than that with a fixed blade. And they offer so much more as far as durability, penetration. Why, why do you want to screw around with fixed blades? And to the, to the point with uh, the O2. Right, right. And to the, to the point with, uh, with the Ohio podcast with, that they did with uh, Dr. Ed Ashby, your retained energy downrange um, you know, even if it is slower out of the bow, your retained energy on target at 100 yards is greater with your heavier arrow than it is the target the arrow that gets there first right yeah you're carrying more momentum when you get there yeah that's and, that's huge and from the crossbow world like i said these bows are getting so stupid fast for some reason i was having blades breaking in foam targets you know mechanicals you know you should have even even seen damage to some of the cheaper aircraft grade aluminum fixed blades and so I'm like, this is no good. We've got to figure this out because guys are just going to screw these things on. They're going to shoot something, be breaking blades at the ribs when they penetrate. And so that's how I got on this fixed blade heavier arrow stuff. And it's it's nothing more than Troy and, and these other guys are saying, you know, it all kind of copycats around the industry. But when you get playing with it, there's, there's really something to it, I believe, anyway. From everything I've seen and I test continuously and I'm shooting almost every day. I'm pretty stupid when it comes to um, sight, the, the sights that you have available on a lot of the, the crossbows nowadays. I mean, my exposure to crossbows is if I go into uh, Little Mountain Outfitters or, you know, Cabela's or some some bow shop and there's crossbows hanging up there, I pick them up and throw them up because I want to feel how comfortable they are and look through the scopes and stuff like that. And a lot of them are preset reticles and stuff so obviously if those preset reticles there's some kind of calculation done with a, probably a 100 grain head and a 400 grain arrow or whatever and you start manipulating that you're going to change it so like what what do you, what did you have to change on some of this or what would somebody have to do or to, to change that setup well they're all all the, the scopes are uh speed dial adjusted so you're going off of the speed of the bow and so if your bow's shooting 400, you just dial that to the 400 speed. If it's shooting 300, and then they'll line up fairly close. I mean, you'll, you'll have to tweak it a little bit depending on faster, slower the bow, but, but they're based on speed, so it, it really doesn't matter. As long as you can adjust from 100 feet per second to 500 feet per second, you can dial it right in. I see. I see. Man, that's uh, that's pretty good stuff. I mean, hey, we're uh, kind of wrapping in, closing in on an hour here. Um, man, well, anything you you uh, anything you want to share with us, whether that's uh, crossbow hunting related or or uh, getting into this fall advice you'd like to give us before we uh, before we let you go? 
No, I'm just hoping you find the guy that killed ten bears so I can listen <laughs> to him and get some advice. You Trust know? me, I've been looking. I found you and liked your stuff. That's why we wanted to talk with you. I'm, I'm by no means a bear expert. I want to put that out there, but I'm learning and I'm trying. I'm a much better deer hunter, but we'll get it there. I promise. Good deal. Well, hey, um, let's uh, let's plan this out again. Let's have a little bit more in-depth deer hunting conversation here in the future. That sounds good. I'll get my computer figured out by then so I don't have to hold myself off. Good deal. Good deal. Todd, thanks uh, Thanks a million for hopping on. Yeah, thanks, All Todd. All right. Thanks, Mitchell. Thanks, Robbie. I appreciate it. Good luck. Yes, Appreciate thank you. you. Thank you.